0: This is O'Ship, the show where experts and leaders look back at their biggest moments of failure just so you can avoid making them. And there is no one better to squeeze the naked truth out of our charismatic guests than your host, chameleon collective founding partner, Freddie Laker. Hi everyone and welcome to this week's O'Ship. This week we've got a really interesting subject uh, that I happen to love as a Guy who's uh, made some questionable decisions about ambitious ideas over the years, sometimes arguably uh, too ambitious. I could always appreciate a subject like attempting the impossible. And so I've got a guy joining us today called Pete Senna, who I had the pleasure of being introduced to by uh, Brett Colbert, who's a partner in the Collective and and actually a former uh, O'Ship show guest uh, who founded the digital agency, Digital Surgeons. Now, if you haven't heard of Digital Surgeons before, these guys have been around for a really long time. The agency was originally founded in 2004. Uh, I sadly remind Pete a minute ago, he's been doing this for 18 years, which I think uh, made him happy, excited, and terrified all at the same time. But this is this is someone who's really, really, really been around the block when it comes to designing digital experiences. Uh, He's worked for the US Open, he's worked for Unilever, he's done Sperry, Elizabeth Arden, Uh, he did Lego, which I'm super jealous of on a side note, did Camelback. And and he's even worked with, you know, celebrities like Lady Gaga. It's funny, we even had a a strange connection. He wrote a great article about the death of Flash, where he even noted actually a project that that me and some of my friends developed called Happiness Factory 3 for Coca-Cola. So we've been interconnected over the years, and I think admiring each other's work, but I gotta give hats off to Pete. He is a a, a lot of balls, frankly, a lot of bravery and a lot of ambition in trying to attempt the impossible. And I thought it'd be really interesting to bring him on today and, and have him talk about, you know, how you do that as a business owner, when it's a good idea, when it's not a good idea, and maybe what's in the implications of that can be for building a business. So with that, I welcome you to another week of O-Ship. Oh Ship. Oh
1: Pete, welcome to <laughs> Oh Ship. How are you? It's good to be here. I love that animation so much, Freddie. It's just it brings a smile to my face right at the end. So, what I'd love to do if you could take a moment and tell us a little bit about uh,
0: your, your background and a little bit more about digital surgeons, um, because I'd love, uh, love for our audience to have some of the context about you uh, that I do.
1: Yeah, no, for sure. Well, for one, I think we are both officially OGs at this point. The fact that we're talking about working in Flash, killing off Flash, and, and 18 years makes me realize like, wow, I've been doing this for uh, way too long. Or, or whatnot, but yeah. So, just a little bit of background. Um, thanks so much for tuning in, everybody. My name is Pete Senna. I cut my teeth in sports marketing and design primarily. So, um, I was a coder as a kid, and at the time was writing software. And I just fell in love with design, and just being sort of a hybrid geek. And you know, being sort of in that world for so long, kind of got into. Thought I was going to be a game designer, game developer, or software developer. Ended up finding. Um, marketing and kind of got got into marketing, and I never looked back. I just loved the ability to sort of use problem solving skills, design skills to really make things for brands and clients and that sort of thing. So that's a little bit about me, Freddie. Love it. So Pete, you know,
0: one of the things uh, when I think about you and your background is thinking about you as a as a kind of a, a, a creative entrepreneur. And there's all kinds of different folks and how they approach the business world. But you know, for you very much in my eyes is a creative entrepreneur. What
1: what does that mean to you? Well, a couple of things. So one, I think for everyone tuning in that is not an entrepreneur or running their own business or one of those things, I coach a lot of creative directors, executives of, of different types. And one of the things I always say is are you falling in love with the problem or are you falling in love with the tactic? So when I say I'm a creative entrepreneur, um, I'm an angel investor in a number of businesses. I operate Digital Surgeons, which is a brand experience consultancy or an agency, whatever vernacular you want to use, depending on your background. But when I say I'm a creative entrepreneur, what I basically mean is that I fall in love with problems that help real people, whether it's a product, a experience, a service. And by doing that, I am essentially building these businesses or having a hand in building these businesses, depending on you know, what my level of involvement is. Versus my early stage of my career as a creative director, as a tech director, I'm more so sort of serving a tactic or serving you know, one piece, uh, one one instrument in the orchestra, as I like to say to people often. So when I say I'm a creative entrepreneur, what that basically means is I'm coming through the, the design and technology and creative discipline. But really, my job is to take that and then deploy that from a strategic perspective versus saying like, oh, I... I'm in visual design or UX design. That's what I do all day. So it's it's really sort of bringing that lens there.
0: Is, is that something? You, I mean, is that a is that a career path that people set out to, or do you think that's just something that kind of happened to you over time? Because you probably start you probably started in
1: design. Yeah, I Yeah, Really like started more. in design. Cut my teeth in sports marketing. Basically, started out on the brand side um, early first first off my career, and then I realized that I had this whole hybrid world that I wanted to create. So like most entrepreneurs at the time, I wasn't an entrepreneur at the time. I was like, I want to design and code and make cool stuff for the internet. And I looked around and I was, I live here in, in Southern Connecticut. I live in the East coast. And I was like, all right, cool. So I can go to California to do that. At the time, New York wasn't popping the way it is now. Right. And I'm like, all right, I guess I'll just start my own thing. Right. So really the beauty of but I think a lot of entrepreneurs do, uh, or business owners, depending on how you look at that, is they see something, whether it's a problem that they see that they just are dying to solve for themselves or for someone else, or they see something in their head, like they've got a vision or an idea, it doesn't exist, so then they lean into it and they make it happen. And that's sort of what the, the birthplace of digital surgeons was, was I saw this converging design tech world. And at the time, digital agencies weren't all that popular, right? We're talking about the days of Moda Media um and some of those the earlier o g agencies that really coined digital agency as a term, and that's sort of what I've been doing since day one so that was my first cutting my teeth into business, and then from there, I fell in love with business and I fell in love with working with other entrepreneurs and helping those folks so sort of been around the block and back at this point, that's cool. and that's sort of what I mean what it means to me
0: i think it's I think it's cool to fall in love with business if you're a creative person, I consider myself a creative person, not that not like I think you're a creative person, but I think you know. If you can be passionate about the was it like having both the left and the right side of the brain working in unison? I think you can come up with some pretty pretty. Brilliant they fight stuff. often, Freddie. I
1: wouldn't say unison. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's fair enough. That's funny. Uh, so you know, I wanted to dig into this uh, subject around attempting the impossible. But before I do, I want to ask you another question about being a, a kind of a creative entrepreneur. You could argue that this is as is a specialist, uh, a specialist role that people have. What are the pros and cons? To being a creative
1: entrepreneur? Well, if you want a healthy dose of crazy with your coffee in the morning, certainly do that. But no, in in all seriousness, I think when I think about specialist versus generalist or practitioner versus entrepreneur, I think I've done many of those adjectives or things that that I just described to you. You know, I've I've been the full-time designer, I've been the full-time developer, I've been the full-time business owner, I've been the part-time investor or advisor. And I think what the past, now that you've reminded me of how old I am, thank you, Freddie, but the past 18 years have have sort of really shown me through experiences, and I can only share the experiences I've had, is just what it means to be a creative entrepreneur. And for me, that means being a creative generalist. I like to think of myself as a business Swiss Army knife, because if you pull a Swiss Army knife out, it doesn't have the best saw, it doesn't have the best scissor, it doesn't have... None of the things in there are the best. But Mm -hmm. when you're facing peculiar problems or challenges or oh shit moments, which we'll talk about today, um, I'm able to sort of tap into that creative generalist mentality because I've got a lot of experiences and many things. Now, what I think mm-hmm. is a pro and a con about that is I've done a lot of work in, I've played with machine learning. I've played with lots of different things. So that makes me effective in storytelling. That makes me effective in marketing and branding. But if I was trying to solve a breakthrough machine learning problem, I would not be the guy to do it or the gal to do it, right? So I think mm. here, what's important to note is if you wanna be the expert in one thing to go really, really, really deep, that's a powerful thing in itself. For me, I wanna be the conductor of the orchestra. You know, one of my sort of mm. fictional, inspiring mentors, which I never met was Steve Jobs. Like I always saw, like, Steve Jobs wasn't a coder, he wasn't a designer, but he was a designer of experiences. And that's sort of what I've I've grown to love and, and, and really try to become throughout my career by having that creative generalist mentality and even the term itself entrepreneur is in itself the idea of solving problems but typically entrepreneurs become serial entrepreneurs and they get involved in multiple businesses so that sort of ADHD. serial masochist yeah, i think serial masochist amen so i hope that <laughs> answers the question right
0: <laughs> so uh great uh, i think segue over so when I th- when I think about attempting the impossible, and I was so excited when you said this would be a, a subject that kind of inspired you and we could dig into today, and again, it's a subject kind of near near and dear to my heart. Do you think that attempting the impossible, and I think we should re- define a bit more what I think that means in a, in a second, but is attempting the impossible a sound business strategy, or is this more of a, a flight of fancy that that creative people get, in your opinion?
1: Well, I'm going to quote the legendary businessman, Jay-Z, when I say difficult takes a day, impossible takes a week. But no, in, in all seriousness, I think that we have to first define impossible. Because one of the things I've realized is that any type of success, whether it be moderate or breakthrough success, really comes down to either perseverance or just absolute luck. And I would say in some cases, it's it's a mix of the two, right? But in all seriousness, I what I would say is on that, why I said difficult takes a day, impossible takes a week, is I think you have to first unpack what is impossible, what makes something impossible. And I think one of the things we're probably gonna talk a little about knowing you, Freddie, is just how I think and just the different mental models and ways to bring that together. So for me, what I like to think of is is and is not, right? Like what are some of the truths that make something impossible? What I've come to realize is I approach things almost every single day, which at the beginning of the day feel impossible at the end of the day, sometimes feel impossible too. But in many cases, once I can take that big thing Mm -hmm. and break it down into smaller things, that's where I can start to update my belief systems and the structures on how I think about that. And I can talk about, I can nerd out um, in terms of that, but I think, is it impossible? If you can understand what makes something impossible, then you can figure out a way to make it possible. And sometimes that requires an evolution Mm -hmm. of society or technology or things to come further along. Sometimes it just requires you to sort of go out into the void of not knowing and experiment like a scientist, which we'll talk about later today, and bring that to life. So I, I don't think that attempting the impossible is a flight of fancy. I, if anything, I think it's a noble pursuit if the problem you're solving mm-hmm. is near and dear to you, or more importantly, as most entrepreneurs will realize, near and dear to a lot of people, because that's where you can find that sort of addressable Mm. market. I mean, there's a lot of things that even just the conversation we're having right now on this streaming software, like they probably spent millions of dollars to build that software, but they knew that there was a problem where they had to fix online streaming. And that's why this, the very platform we're talking on today got created. So I don't think attempting the impossible is a flight of fancy. I think it's what entrepreneurs and visionary leaders do. And it's why we see evolution in life, work and business.
0: I'm going to ask you a two part question. And part of this is kind of will feel kind of general, but I want to connect it back very specifically uh, to attempting the impossible in a second. Sure. So, when uh, upon self reflection, and I'm not, I'd be interested to see if you think other people see you in the same way. Do you think of yourself as a pragmatic leader or more of a visionary type leader?
1: Oh, I I don't have to think about that and tell you the answer. I I would say visionary for sure. And I think if you were to ask my team, my clients, they'd say the same thing. But let me tell you why. This is not sort of my attempt to sort of pat myself on the back here. I absolutely, as an entrepreneur, as a consultant, as a leader, I am constantly having to be pragmatic. But one of the things I like to tell my teams and my clients is, I'm in the business of unlocking progress and possibility, right? That's ultimately what we do, right? Marketing in itself is inherently understanding behavior and creating behavior change when done properly, right? ethically, the way that I like to think about it. So for me, you can't go from pragmatic to visionary. You can absolutely go from visionary to pragmatic, right? It's like sort of like flipping over the triangle, if you will. If you start from a place of pragmatism, if you start from a place of impossibility and how things are today or how they used to be, then you can never imagine how they ought to be. You can never imagine that visionary status. So for me, visionary all day long, but that's to say for all you pragmatists out there, there is a time and a place to be pragmatic and I would be completely unsuccessful if I didn't have incredible operational, pragmatic people around me throughout these years. Because anybody who believes they can do it themselves and always be in that space of big ideas, they're full of, uh, you know what, so.
0: It's, it's it's so funny. You kind of got into where I was going to go with this. I was interested to see your brain kind of go there on its own, which is I think there's some real merit to saying like, look, if you, if you try these really big, ambitious, bold ideas, and we'll talk about some very specific examples of that, I'm sure, in a second. When you try them, yeah, it, having the big vision is, is really important. But actually, I think part of what makes impossible ideas possible is breaking them down into smaller, you know, conquerable mountains, and saying, "Look, I, I you know, I, I'm not sure if I've got the whole thing yet, but I feel like if I could get this bit and this bit and this bit, I think that other thing will kind of happen, right?". And so, there's something about being very pragmatic and how you try and solve these things that that make them feel achievable. You know, when you when it w- if it's so visionary, sometimes I find that you'll let the ideas get out of, out of control in some sense. And and the pragmatist, in and in, in sounds like a new and certainly another way I think about some of this stuff is it, it actually what makes you pull these things off. You don't, it, it, you can spin out if you try and solve it all at one time. And and I think there's some real merit in, in in kind of looking at it in that way. So very, very, very
1: interesting. There's a reason why I have a mandala in the background, speaking of spinning out. It's <laughs> funny. What's the backstory? So, I mean, listen, like, uh, like many creatives, it can be a bit of mania in your head. And I mean, a couple of years ago before I, found meditation or any smart versions of self-care, like I 100% spun out and had a (laughs) full-on mental breakdown and, you know, found myself making a choice between uh, what the hell I was going to do. But yeah, no, all jokes aside, I think it, if you're always in the space of big ideas, it's really easy for you to fall apart in a lot of ways. Because I think what ends up happening is if you're, if you're always living in the space of what could happen and how the world isn't yet, it's really easy to sort of get a lot of dissonance between the future and the present and what I've come to realize. So a lot of people have referred to me as a futurist. I don't disagree or reject that term. In fact, I accept it, but you can't call yourself a futurist, right? So a lot of people have called me a futurist um, and I accept that term. <laughs> or guru. So self-proclaimed guru. Call gurus, me a guru so and I'm hitting PC. the exit button right now, Freddie. Don't call me a guru. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. no, um, I'm not your guru, Tony exactly. Robbins, but no, so seriously, like I, I think that the pursuit of achieving the impossible ultimately comes down to having present moment awareness for where you're at and where you're going in the future. So we do these big enterprise workshops. We've got Fortune 500 clients that we're working with right now. And one of the things I do with our clients all the time is I say, I ask them what their favorite movies are because it humanizes them a bit. And one of the things I always hope for is I hope someone says back to the future. If they don't say that, I find a way to weave into the conversation. And as crazy as this might sound, and you might be thinking, wow, this is so tangential, but it's not. The truth of the matter is, is by Br- you've seen Back to the Future, I'd imagine, Freddie, right? Of
0: course, yeah, maybe, only maybe forty or fifty uh, times. Okay, I, I was like gonna say time. if
1: you had said no, I was gonna get really worried, but I sort of knew that you. you really <laughs> You're like our friendship it's is over, over, it's over here, right? it's over. But so what I like to do with people a lot of times is I say sort of imagine that moment in the scene where they got in the DeLorean for the first time, and what I do in pre-pandemic we used to do this physically, you know with design thinking and post-it notes and, and whiteboarding and whatnot. Now we use a lot of digital tools to bring that to life. And I won't nerd out on the digital tools unless you want me to. But we sort of think about that DeLorean moment. You know, we think in terms of storytelling, right? We don't want to be boring in these in these exercises. We get them to think about where they're at in the present day, which everyone knows where they're at right now. So it's easy to do that. And then we sort of hop in the DeLorean time machine. We get like fictitious. We start playing for a little bit. Believe it or not, fun fact, that's actually how we won Lego, is, is by playing a very similar game. We then teleport ourselves into the future with this nice DeLorean. And I ask the question of, well, what's this future look like? What's it look like, sound like, feel like? We start mapping it out, right? And all these things feel impossible, kind of like when Elon put rockets in space, right? They're like, no way you're gonna be able to beat NASA, like in some ways. But you go into the future and you do that stuff, and then you walk it back. And that's where to your question, Freddie, about visionary versus prag- pragmatic, that's where you gotta bring the pragmatic side of your brain to the table and the pragmatic people to say, okay, Yeah, we're 150 steps out in the future now to get there. Let's walk it back. We need to have this. What would need to happen or what wouldn't need to happen? And that's where we start bringing in the Mm -hmm. fancy mental models and stuff that I'll just try to keep it simple today because maybe not everyone's as nerdy and geeky as I am. But that sort of present state, future state, and then walking it back is how I achieve the impossible and how I help our, our clients achieve the impossible because everything was impossible before it was possible.
0: Yeah, I'd, I'd like to get specific on this for a second. Uh, you know, one of the things you you mentioned a second ago was you're saying, "Hey, some, you know, sometimes I can spin out on stuff." Mm-hmm. And I think when you when you start thinking about, you, know, you look at people who are maybe watching live or or you know watching any you know, of the the pre recorded shows of a ship out there, and they're hearing all this, and they're feeling very inspired, and they want to go out there, or they think about times and maybe they've tried to take on impossible tasks, and it can feel daunting, and it can make you make you spin mm-hmm. out, and so. I was wondering if you had any tips tricks tools i don't know any you know anything that you use you know whether it's technology best practices frameworks i don't know like how do you, how, you know, how do you get through these things to let you get to the other side of these of these mountains
1: basically yeah so i'm a very visual kinesthetic person obviously coming from a background in design and technology so i have a lot of exercises and toolkits that we bring to the table which really a lot of them are born in improv techniques or brainstorming techniques that a lot of you know creative agency folks or brand folks probably have heard about the one school of thought that i'm always sort of jamming down people's throats even if they don't want it is design thinking which again mm-hmm. i can explain now if it makes sense or do you want to jump back yeah did
0: you just for
1: some people may not know
0: what design thing is so if you could provide a little context there that'd be awesome
1: yeah actually. no 100% so the first thing is we all remember i'd imagine even your youngest viewers now or in the future have probably been through middle school or or high school at this point, if I had to guess, hopefully. I hope Um, so. so.
0: Um, Some of them may be in their 30s and 40s and haven't been through high school. We'll see. We have a very diverse group. Love it. And
1: no judgments here. But what I was going to say to being a bit playful here is we've all been taught the scientific method, right? The idea of forming a hypothesis in that lab class, doing an experiment, observing the results of that experiment or not. Drawing some conclusions from it, and then going right back through it, uh, you know, the number of times. So the scientific method is is really rooted in in a lot of ways in design thinking. Obviously, folks like Simon Hubert, who was the the political scientist that was really coined the inventor of design thinking, at least what it what it was at first. IDEO uses design thinking a lot for how they approach industrial design and those types of things. But really, to simplify it, design thinking is a way of framing validating and solving problems. And I use design thinking from figuring out which restaurant I'm going to take my wife to this weekend because we're in the middle of a crazy pandemic down to how am I going to help a Fortune 500 brand increase their market cap value by half a billion dollars in six months, right? It's all rooted in the same thing, which is looking at where you're at, looking at where you're trying to go, but it's done specifically through what they call human-centered design, which is basically just a fancy way to say you have to have empathy, You have to be present. You have to understand your audience, whether your audience is a user or a customer or a CEO executive, know your audience first and foremost, understand the way that they see the world. What are they thinking, feeling, and doing? And then going through that process, that's what design thinking is. So people think they hear design thinking, they think it's like pretty fonts and colors, or in some cases, I think it's really funny too. Is Some people think of design thinking as like the post-it parade. And what I think is hilarious, right? We've all seen like the post-it notes and looking intense on an agency website. But the reality is Elon Musk's a design thinker. Mark Zuckerberg's a design thinker. Mm -hmm. Just because they're not prancing around with post-it notes does not mean that they're not design thinkers. So I think that any great entrepreneur is in themselves a design thinker because they're thinking about the world through the lens of what's the problem, what's the audience, and what's the problem I'm solving. Design thinking is just a Mm -hmm. curriculum and a series of exercises and things that you can do, which we teach to people. I teach shop people that are on the shop floor at a manufacturing company how to do design thinking. I teach Fortune 500 CEOs how to do design thinking. I teach high school and college kids when we're doing like different programs on our campus district in New Haven, Connecticut, teach them design thinking. seems like it's a skill that
0: you could, you could apply. It's a, skill. Lifelong <laughs> it's the a life skill, right? Yeah, it is, yeah. So a lot of empathy involved there. So I'm, I'm gonna uh, mix this up a do little it. bit. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna test. We're gonna test, and you're gonna help dictate what your next question's gonna Uh-oh. be. If I had to ask you, are you, uh, you know, do do you want the good news or the bad news first? Which one do you always ask? Always
1: me? bad news first.
0: Okay. Well, then you have dictated. I have to ask. It would not be oh ship if I did not ask you. Can you give us an example of where, does, you know, attempting the impossible has blown up in
1: your face? Oh, Freddie. Audience, I can give you it's, how much time you got. Right? <laughs> I yeah, the show? no, like, we need to extend the show and do a couple episodes. But
0: welcome yeah. to the first six-hour edition of Oh yeah. Shit. So,
1: so let me tell you about it. let me tell you a story where I um, had I followed through with this activation. I would have ended up in jail and in a, a big problem. So <laughs> it's always a good, yeah, start. good start. So it was a dark <laughs> and stormy night. No, so I'm going to sort of withhold some information to protect the innocent here, but. Um, We had this massive CPG brand, global brand. If I was to share who they are, I would probably be on the phone with a lawyer, so I'm not going to do that. But it was a global CPG brand. And we had this incredible activation that was going to go off in San Francisco. It was right around the time of a Super Bowl. Um, It was affiliated and associated uh, with a Super Bowl. And we were essentially, the the activation concept was we were going to have a celebrity announce this product. It was going to be flown into an event on a drone and dropped off by a drone. And this was a couple of years ago. So nowadays you hear drone deliveries and you're like, oh, Amazon's already doing that. Companies are doing that in Europe, fine. But no, we were like avant-garde. We were early. No one was doing this. This particular celebrity was at the time, at their at their peak, you would know who they are. They're still a very prominent name in the music entertainment space. Again, withholding the news, the, the, the innocent here. So we, we went out, we hired a industrial designer. We hired a fabricator. We built this crazy, amazing drone that could withstand a great deal of weight. And we were actually gonna we we managed to build this thing. Again, we're a digital agency, so why are we building drones, right? So we, the activation was gonna bring in, airdrop in a series of products, the CPG food brand, and people could try the product, right? So that the audience that was there, we had the who's who, it was this amazing activation, experiential, the whole thing. And massive celebrity act comes in. The it was a pop-up thing. You know, at the time we were, we did a drop on Snapchat, which to, because Snapchat was like all the rage back then, this is pre-TikTok, right? But it's still musically. And it it happens, it's in San Francisco, all the hoity-toity, the the news, the press, everything's ready to go under embargo and the cops show up. And they're like, what are you guys doing? So obviously our event people show them all the permits. We had the permits, We, we did all the proper planning or so we thought. And they're like, yeah, we just had a terrorist threat near an airport. So we understand that you have all the proper regulations. But if, if you fly this drone, we're going to arrest you and everyone involved. And there's going to be, and you're going to have, you know, we're already on the phone with with legal authorities, local authorities. And this was like big. So that was an oh shit moment that happened where our whole activation, the whole premise of our idea, which was this drone drop kind of concept kind of blew up and we had to lean into our core values at that point. And that's where core values are really important is like being responsive to change is a, is a big core value of us and just resilient. Now, I'm happy to say that we figured out a way to spin it and all ended off well. We still got a bunch more work from that client. Nobody got fired. Nobody got arrested. It still had tons of impressions and was a very successful case. However, in my case, I mean case study, but like- <laughs> Not, not, yeah, not law Um <laughs> But yeah this <laughs> is this is, a, this is a really a really big thing and, it, <laughs> and and it could have it it could have very quickly gone to shit but it didn't.
0: I I can't believe I'm going to do this but because of the story that you just told and I I'm always a fan of a good friendly bit of one-upmanship I'm going to tell a story that I haven't told publicly uh in a long Let's time that I think is up there on the stupid level that you just shared so thank you for inspiring me for this this story uh and I, I don't think we'd have been arrested but it certainly involved uh some legal legal stuff i, I think it was like mid probably like 2005 2006 i'm looking at my calendar making sure we're out of like you know legal range of any repercussions yes. <laughs> and so that we, we doing this huge campaign yeah a huge campaign for uh toyota and they were launching this, uh launching this car, you know, car called the Matrix and this really, really cool campaign called Your Other You. And this whole thing was like, you know, when you're in the Matrix, you're like a whole another other person, it's your other you, and you know, it's kind of cool edgy version of yourself. And and the and the uh uh campaign that they had done uh, at the time basically was like these you know, it was like these alternate characters. That, you know, would kind of go on these road trips and you become this kind of other person when we when, when the Matrix campaign. And we basically had this idea like on the digital campaign, like what if we took their idea and kind of flipped it? And the website was one of the most ambitious things we've ever tried to do. This was a, a prank that you would play on a friend. You'd punch in some information on them. And like a bunch of personal details their home address, their, you know, gender, name, you know, birthday, all kinds of like kind of inside knowledge details. And then you pick one of these characters, which is like a football hooligan, a heavy metal guy and a guy. And I believe it was a raccoon suit. And then it, this, it would, this website would play, and I'm not joking, a seven day long prank, seven days of once a day, a prank on this person it was this interconnected story about one of these characters was basically driving across the country to come visit you, and they would set like, and they they would do things like, uh, it was really mind-bending, like especially for the time technology. We had stuff where like they were uh, part of the road trip. They, they'd find a they'd see a diner and 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 it had your name in it. And back then, there wasn't all these dynamically generating video systems like we had. And we literally set up a render form of, like, you know, uh, After Effects machines just sitting in the cloud, like, producing these videos we were sending to people. And the character would be like, look, man, look, we're coming to see you. And your name would be up there. And then, obviously, the Matrix car would be there. And, they, and then one thing, they talk about how they're getting close to your house. And it, it sounds like they pocket-doll you. And they and we pre-recorded, like, something crazy, like 1,700 1700- <laughs> Wow. names so that when they pocket dial you it's like oh yeah i'm gonna go see freddy man I'm gonna see freddy and so apparently we freaked someone did this 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 prank on like their grandmother's oh something. my god and it sketched this lady out so bad that she sued toyota and apparently was sleeping with like an axe or oh a machete or something under her pillow because she was convinced that these your other you characters were coming to get them it I, I, the, the campaign actually got nominated for um oh god what's the the, the innovation character a, a category like it was a finalist for like the big you know the big innovation category the can Lions so it was a huge massively award winning campaign but yeah but basically basically someone thought we were our one of our campaigns had gone so awry that they were going to go murder someone so, I love it yeah these things can be a these things can be a little messy at times well I think look I mean <laughs> but it was one of the coolest most ambitious things I've ever I done. love it Freddie. No,
1: I love it. I mean, it's like the way I look at it, right, is the best advertising, the best experiences are rooted in truth, right? So if people knew it was a gimmick, it wouldn't be as powerful. But I just feel bad for that person's grandmother that they played a prank on. So... Yeah, yeah.
0: And by the way, I want to make sure I use careful. That was a massive group effort from a lot of really brilliant people, both at their campaign agency and also at our digital agency, Icon Group. What, what I thing is interesting about that, connecting it back to the conversation we had earlier, you know, as a concept, it seemed completely impossible and insurmountable, but we broke it down to a lot of its core co- components. Like, okay, how are we going to crack the, the, the dynamic audio? How are we going to crack... video issue and it really broke these down these small pieces and we just had to solve all those those individual pieces on their own and it did certainly make something that felt impossible literally possible so
1: yeah it's very uh george lucas if you will it's like and that's why i think going back to your question earlier freddie about like visionary versus pragmatic is one of the reasons that i want to be the conductor of the proverbial orchestra as a creative entrepreneur is i recognize that i know enough about enough things to bring it all together and stitch it together into a coherent picture, and then to sort of be that parser to tell that story between the practitioner that's making it happen and then the client and the different things. That sort of game of translation, I think is so powerful because if you bring those things to life, you can you can really unlock new things. But if you're stuck in what is or isn't possible, you'll never get to, you know. oh, well, dynamic audio is not possible because... We can't render it fast enough, and it's like, well, what if we could render it fast enough? What would that look like? And it's like, that's where the design thinking stuff comes into play, you know.
0: So, you know, I put you on the spot earlier, and I, I made you give me an, an O oh, ship story. I, it was a great one, Enough so good, I had to respond in kind. But t- tell me an example of where you went, you went for the fences, you attempted the impossible. You know what that project was, maybe, and and what the result was. Because I'd love to hear about when attempting the impossible really works
1: yeah i mean so i think the entire genesis of digital surgeons is in itself an impossibility you know when i started that that firm you know we've worked with major celebrities major brands but there's been a lot of you shouldn't do this you can't do this moments throughout the evolution of of the journey of the organization you know we've people told us it wasn't possible to launch a tech and innovation campus in the middle of Connecticut, you could only pull that off if you're, you know, um, multi, 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 multi gazillionaire with the right connections and, (laughs) and, and whatnot, we pulled it off, right. When we were pitching against some of the biggest name agencies in, in New York, and we won many different accounts, whether it was, you know, United Technologies or Sharp Electronics or all the different things like, I feel like at least once a week, we're attempting the impossible, whether it's like people saying this technology is not possible or, hey, you and your partner, like you never ran an agency, you don't know anything about the agency space. I often feel like what is impossible to some people feels completely possible to other people. Like for me, like I look at impossible things that people freak out over and I get excited about it. I love to be able to break that down um, I take what's called a first principles approach to things. And that term has been really made famous by Elon Musk. Specifically, he, like, this story has been beat to death. So you've probably read about like how he thought about uh, launching rockets in space with SpaceX and like how he broke down, like why does a rocket cost so much? So like one of the ways, I just want to offer this up for the audience now or in the future, is I play a game called Five Whys, which is a big design thinking thing. I do that with almost every single time I'm approaching an impossible problem. So let me give you about give you an example of an, impro- an impossible problem uh, that we helped solve recently. So I'm just trying to think about how much I can share of it. So we had a... This is always the, this is always the fun part about being put on the spot is like, what can I share that is greenlit, right? <laughs> so when I think about an impossible story for us, a lot of times it comes down to launching something that has a crazy deadline or a series of like red tape things that happen. So a lot of times one of the things that we do, um, we have this thing called an IO sprint, which just stands for insights and opportunity sprint. Um, so we're working with a prominent fortune 500 um, right now. So I can't say too, too much, but I'll, I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it. They are one of the reasons.
0: But they have at least a one in 500 chance of guessing. Yes, it exactly.
1: They are, they're one of the reasons why, I don't know if you're vaccinated, it's not a question I'm gonna ask you on live live TV here, but. I am vaccinated, and one of the reasons that a lot of people have been able to get vaccinated here in the States is because of the infrastructure and the, the, the things that happen to get these products from the labs all over the world into the hands of the pharmacists and the frontline practitioners that gave us that. So the whole thing that surrounds that, the the user experience of that, the, the, the way in which those things happen... We've been working on innovating that for two very, very large organizations. And there's been a lot of impossibility. There's been uh, people have said, oh, legal will never get, in, uh, get on board with that. Or this executive will never get on board with that. Or the sales team won't get on board with that. And our solution is to ask why. And then when those people respond to the answer of that, repair re- that back, reshare that back with them, ask why again. Mm-hmm. And then we can sort of keep going deeper. Typically, when you, get to, when you get to death or when you get to like no more content, that's when you know you've gone deep enough down the the five why thing. Typically, it's three to four whys before you get to it. Uh, they call it five whys, which again, I can share some information with anybody that wants to know, just hit me up on Twitter or whatever. But in doing that for this organization, what we realized is that there was a couple of people that had the ability to make this project successful or unsuccessful just by saying yes or no. And what we had to basically do is get those people in a digital room and work through with them. What I've come to realize now is a lot of times people who will stamp something green or red, you know, go or no go, comes down to them feeling like they're a part of the process and them feeling like it's their idea. So I think what we like to understand is like what are the power structures that or the regulatory structures that make something possible or impossible, and that's where I think design thinking we bring the same toolkit to every one of our clients. And every single one of our clients has a different problem or a different challenge. And why does that same toolkit matter? Because it's rooted in human truth. So I, I hope that's specific mm-hmm. enough. Um, I can give you older stories that are more public now, but I think some of the most exciting stuff we're doing right now, we're doing some incredible stuff in the cannabis tech space. We're doing some incredible stuff in the blockchain mm-hmm. space right now. A lot of it, I'm reticent to just sort of overshare on this conversation. But I hope that that story is at, is at least specific enough for you and the audience as to mm-hmm how this technique can, can really be beneficial.
0: It's very, very helpful. You know, it's funny. I think I've got two, two more things I want to ask you. One is, you know, you've shared some great insights. I love that insight a second ago about just kind of understanding the importance of bringing um, leaders that are, whether it's a client or design thinking, you know, or both, uh, you know, to try and make make stuff happen that you need to have them buy into the process and be part of the process. What would you say is the single most important thing you've learned about being an entrepreneur in the digital space after doing this for 18 years? That's a big one. It's like asking someone their favorite song. So, but yeah, you know, is there some, is there something that really, really stands out or pops into your head?
1: Well, there's speaking of spinning out, there's a flood of things coming through my head right now. Um...
0: <laughs> get, to get that framework out.
1: The one thing I would say, I stole this one from Steve Jobs, my my invisible mentor, right? That's fun. Um, <laughs> if it worked for him, it could work for you. <laughs> have strong opinions, but keep them loosely held. That's the one thing that I would say to be successful is learning is as important as unlearning. And I think that a lot of times mm-hmm. the things that got someone to get successful, like what got you here won't get you there. So I, I think to continue to transform impossible into possible, you have to transform the way that you think and act. And I think what that refers you to do is unlearn your some of your belief systems, some of your principles, and learn new ones. And I see that a lot with the we work with a lot of C-suite executives and and you know, large companies, B2C, B2B, etc. And a lot of them are stuck in their ways because oftentimes the thing that made you become blockbuster is the thing that'll also make you become blockbuster. So what I like to say is sort of listen to the market. Those who try to beat the market fail, right? Like listen to the market, pay attention to the market, aka your customer, your consumer, whether that's your employees and what they need and want, or your end customers. That to me is some of the, and again, that's way more than one thing, right? But I would say your mindset and your actions will dictate your success and your failures. And I think Keep going for those of you that are watching this. I hope this has been somewhat helpful for you. Again, I would love to answer any questions you, you folks yeah. have. Hit me up on Twitter. I'm there all the time. Yeah. But I love this conversation, Freddie. this is this is fun. I think what you've you've made me realize is how much I enjoy taking on the impossible. And what I've also realized is how bored I get when I'm working on <laughs> things that are just too possible or too too mundane. So it's one of the things I love about you. Well,
0: I, I, have the, I have the perfect final question, I think, for you then. And, and uh, you know, the spirit of you talk about kind of great quotes you take from other people. I don't know who to attribute this one to. Someone in the chat or online, I'm sure, will tell me. But I've always loved that expression that perfect is the enemy of done. And, and uh, you know, now I don't want to project me onto you, but I'd be interested to see when you when you're attempting the impossible, let's say specific to maybe a digital project, whether it's marketing, it's digital experience, whatever it is, but something you're crafting from your world, when you're trying something impossible, is it is it more perfect? It more important that it's perfect or that it's done?
1: Wow. Short answer is always progress over perfection. The longer answer is as a designer myself, someone who's extremely passionate about. The role that form and function plays in an experience. I think it was Reed Hoffman that said, and don't don't quote me, but we should probably double check this. But I think it was it was Reed that said, if you're proud of the first thing you launch, you waited too long.
0: Yeah, I love that. I've
1: always loved that. That was Reed. Okay, cool. So I'm I'm glad the coffee kicked in. Nailed it. Awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Intervene. But yeah, that's that's what I would say. Right. I have
0: a really short term memory, by the way, a really terrible memory. So, you know, attempting the impossible for me would actually be the accurately quoting people.
1: Like, yes, I got the name I, right I again. used to have, like, I'll say it. So I, have, I have a, a seven month old now and it's my first kid. And what I'll tell you is before having a kid, I had a photographic memory. I could, I was like the character Mike Ross on the show Suits, like literally like photographic. I can remember <laughs> everything. Now, like I, my short term memory is going out the window. But yeah, that's what, that's what i the saying. You're like, you're like, you're like, What's the name of this? What's the name of this show again? Oh shit! Yeah. Oh shit! Oh shit! Um, but yeah, no, thousand, thousand percent, <laughs> Freddie. Like progress over perfection. But I do think though that one thing I, I really want to make sure to say before we wrap is, and this is I probably should have brought this controversy up earlier. Is um, I think MVP is the biggest crock of shit in the world. Minimum viable product I think is a is a defunct thing, and the best product owners and CEOs know that. Because I think what's really important is minimum valuable product. And whether that's a feature mm. for a product or a feature for an experience, you get one chance to make a first impression. And as many times as people want to say, like track, test, measure, if, yeah, you can put something out there, see how people respond to it. We do a lot of digital experiences. But, but, if, but
0: if it has no value, the automatic reaction is, yeah. well, this is... Yeah. And there's a lot of ways to do no it. So, so what I would
1: say is understand the first the first logical step of progress that you're trying trying to achieve again. One thing I want to offer up to the audience down in the future because I love this just making impossible possibility. If you're facing an impossible task, like shoot me a tweet. Public Twitter is the best way to get free expensive consulting from me because I'm like, oh, you just you just added me on Twitter. I've got thirty thousand people now that I'm going to let down if I don't answer this. So a little free, you know, a little free tip, and you, you get one shot. <laughs> um, Just shoot me an impossible problem and I'll think about like what that one first step is, is, you know, one step leads to two and then two leads to many. And what I like to tell people a lot is progress over perfection means understanding what progress looks like and feels like. So one step at a time and impossible is possible for you.
0: That's great. And a very generous offer. I I, I appreciate it, Pete. So hey, uh, so on that note, uh, what is your Twitter handle? Are there any websites you want the audience to know about anything like that if they want to learn more about you or your, any of your businesses?
1: Yes, I will happily, shamelessly plug my Twitter. No, jokes aside, you can check out Digital Surgeons, the consultancy on digitalsurgeons.com. As for uh, following me, I'm pretty active on Twitter. I just, you know, being a tech geek, I it's just a platform that has always really been near and dear to my heart. So you can definitely get me there. And then I've got a personal website as well, PeteCenter.com. But I would say if you want to really see like some of the exciting things that, that I'm up to, some of the impossibilities made possible, definitely check out digital surgeons.com. We've got a really exciting new update coming uh, next month. So um, definitely stay tuned for that. Oh, um, cool. okay, yeah, super- Make sure you send me that. Oh, I, you. You, you know I will. You know I will for sure. But yeah, I just want to say thanks to you, Freddie, and thanks to the audience. Love this show. Love, love what you stand for and what Chameleon Collective stands for. I've had just some incredible experiences working with you and some chameleons. And it, it oh, it's, thanks, it's opened man. up a lot of new possibilities and new ways of thinking. So for anybody listening to this, this is, you know, Freddie didn't put me up to this, but what I would say is I think Freddie and um, a lot of the folks we've worked with over there, especially Brett Colbert, who got Freddie and I connected. These folks are doing some really impressive stuff. I think they're thinking about business now in a very Thank different you know, way. And, you know, I don't, I don't plug people a lot, I and mean, you can follow me see who I plug. I, I very seldom plug things unless I believe in Ooh. them. Oh. I'm,
0: I'm in like a short list of like really good tech gadgets and and like hair care products or yeah.
1: something. Yeah, no, I, I listen. I, <laughs> I, I'm I'm such a fanboy, Freddie. Like when I when I love something, I <laughs> want to tell the whole world about it because for me, that's like it's future proof, it. right? Because you think about like this, right? If if nobody knows about this cool thing, and like yeah. I'll give you an example. My wife has this mascara that got that she just loved, and it got discontinued, and now we like search all over the internet to like try to find it because it's discontinued. And that's a great example of like, and she always finds it because she's like an FBI agent. But I share that because I think that if you if you know something and you believe in it, whether it's a person, a company, a service, talk about it. Because the problem with with is the world is like Yelp right now, dude. Like for every great place, mm-hmm. like people only shout and are loud about the negative shit. So my goal and everything, it just just so people know, like, why are you plugging Freddie and Chameleon? Like real talk in closing is if you believe in something or someone say something positive about it. Because the problem is, is that there's too much negative mm-hmm. stuff out there and people need to discover the goodness in the world. And the only way we're going to do that is tapping into a page from Tim Ferris's playbook, which is like, if you love the product, talk about it. And then other people will find it too, because word of mouth is still the best mm-hmm. form of spreading the word. So mm-hmm. I'll get off my soapbox now. Thanks,
0: Brian. That, that was very kind of you. Uh, I appreciate it. And um, and for those of you uh, who have been watching and today and listening or on OSHIP on any of our audio podcasts or watching live on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, uh, LinkedIn, uh, whether you're watching it live or watching it uh, after the show, we really, really, really thank you for tuning in today. The best thing you can do to support the show is share the, share this video with your rest of your feed. Uh, give us a like, follow if you're not already following, subscribe if you're not already subscribing, And please tell your friends. And if you're looking for more info on the show, check out OShipShow.com, and we've got links to all the different places that we stream, whether it's live or after the show. Pete, thanks again for joining today. I really had fun. This was a a great, great episode. You were a a great guest, and uh, and I hope to have you on the show again. Thanks, everybody. Take care, everyone. Thanks for watching OShip. The OShip Show is brought to you by Chameleon Collective, where we lead scale and adapt to build and grow great companies. You can learn more at chameleoncollective.com. Freddie will see you next time when we will once again be raising the sails for the O Ship Show.